Okay, this is episode three of On Irish Road. I have been on a uh, trip with my family to the Mighty Five in Utah. It was gorgeous, but very hot. Um, But it was fun. And I took my dad with me in my purse, which, by the way, is not very big. Normally, I have quite large purses, and so there'd be ample room, but... Um, I had to kind of pick and choose what was coming with me and he made the cut. So yeah, believe for you, dad, um, in his pill bottle, which sounds horrible and cold. I get that. I get that. That just sounds like a, you know, not a nice thing, but it's a process, just a process trying to figure all of this out. And I wanted that watershed moment, that moment where I was in, you know, a beautiful place and the words just came to me and the moment was just surreal and it was the perfect place and, you know, I would feel like I was doing right by him and right by me and it would be cathartic and I could kind of move on and yeah, so that didn't happen. Um, I think part of it's because I just didn't feel like he really would have wanted to be any of those places and he's still my dad and it just wasn't right. So he, you know, came with me in my purse and then when we would go on hikes, he'd go in the backpack and first of all, in national parks, you have to have a permit and you, it's only like certain places. So I knew it was going to have to be outside the park system. And I just never found the right spot. It never felt right. So I didn't do it. So my dad is now out of my purse. And he is sitting on my dresser. I'm looking at him right now. I mean, I'm looking at his room. Cremains, his cremains. No, it's not my father. I'm I'm not that far removed from reality. But um, so... I think the first part of these is going to be, number one, I don't even think anybody's listening, so I don't think it matters. And number two, I just, I'm feeling a little sorry for myself. I think everything's kind of quieted down and, you know, I know these things don't, you know, move like rapid fire, but surely they move quicker than this. And I have yet to hear back from the private investigator, um, but again, I have been out of town and, and not a lot of cell service, so that's on my agenda this week. And sometimes those small tasks feel like the biggest ones because you're not sure what to anticipate, what information you're going to get or not get. I think that's also scary, right? The thought that maybe all of this was just odd, wild coincidences and things that looked bad. But then I remember the night that he died and the events immediately after. And I think, no, no, there's, there's something, something there. Like I said, a there, there, there's definitely, you know, the other part of it is people go away like that were there to support you. And we didn't have a big support group you know my dad's side of the family I think they knew my dad was full of shit and they didn't trust him for sure but they definitely there was no interaction with us I mean that was by design for my dad but they were adults I mean you know nobody 
really talk to us. And, um, and then just for a little bit right after he died, but that goes away as well. Everybody has their own life and agenda and nobody really wants to hear the sad story of the McClay kids and how abusive their father was. And, um, I don't know, maybe they don't care. Maybe they just don't understand. Maybe it's too painful. I don't know. I'm going to give them some grace. They think they're good people. So, um, you know, our lives were not intertwined. And so I can't blame them. I also think, you know, he said some pretty reprehensible things about his children. I'm sure there's some belief there that some of those things are true. And I don't have any reason to try to or want to undo the lies that my dad said about us. It's just not, it's a waste of time. You know, we are best served to live our best life. But the saddest part is I haven't heard from my siblings. And I think that is also very painful. You know, we had shared experiences through pain, trauma bonding, and, um, but we didn't spend all that much time together. And when we did, we were at just such different ages, experiencing different things and all played different roles with both of our parents. Um, Cause you know, I have a father, but I also have a mother. And so when she's still alive and um, we'll talk about her at some point, but she's not a narcissist, thank God. And, um, but yeah, they've kind of, you know, I'm kind of the person that calls and reaches out. And then, you know, my mom would say, oh, you need to reach out to your brother. You need to talk to your brother. He really needs you. And then I would, and we'd talk. And then when I needed him, you know, nobody calls back. There's no return calls. There's no return texts. And at some point you just have to say, okay, I mean, we had, we share the same bloodline, right? And the same parents, and we shared a lot of bad experiences, a few good ones. That's why I think I pushed so hard for like going on a family trip after he died was because we could start to create new memories. Um, so I'm having a pity party myself right now, which is probably pretty obvious. I'm feeling very alone, which is why I'm talking into my phone. Because that just makes all the sense in the world, right? It doesn't, absolutely does not. But it's somewhat cathartic to just have it out there. Because the thought of going through it all alone is devastating. My husband listens, listens, but he, you know, he's been with me for 23 years. He's heard it. He knows. And... You just, I'm aware that I'm being redundant and I'm saying the same things in different ways and it's just too painful. It's why it was so nice to get away for 10 days and just not, you know, not be focused on that, but be focused on my kids and, and, you know, the beauty that we were in and the experiences that we had and, and making their world right. And because that's your job as a parent, right? No matter what's going on is to make your children's world beautiful and good and to teach them the things and how to get through the pain and what pain does for you. It's powerful. It's perspective. It's, 
you know, it, it's empathy. It's all of those things. And so I'm grateful for that. But I'm, I'm feeling a little lost, you know, because I'm waiting for that moment where I'm moving on. You know, people say, forgive, you have to forgive, forgive. Well, first of all, I don't even know where to start. Like, who do I start? <laughs> just forgive everybody blindly because I'm not feeling it. Like, I'm just not feeling it. I'm not feeling like I want to forgive my dad. I don't think I ever really did. I don't really feel like, like, I just, I'm not <laughs> going to do that right now. I don't feel like it's even in me. I'm definitely not going to forgive <laughs> Sundays for hijacking the end of my dad's life and our mourning and you know that immediate aftermath and what they've done I'm just not there I'm angry right I think I've just been kind of stuck in this angry frustrated place and anyway so I think it's more about remembering and resolve to move forward um and at some point that's gonna just have to happen and maybe I'll just pick at it here and there but I have to at least get their story out there um my parents story my dad's story my story my sibling's story and and the rest of what happened to the Sundays um you know regarding my father's death and up until, I guess, there's no more news and no more information. And I can say we did what we could, but, you know, I just don't want them to do this to somebody else. So I left off with my sister and myself driving away from their home on Irish Road. And we had an appointment for three o'clock in New Bloomfield at um, the funeral home. Um, so, you know, my dad lived in Camp Hill, like Lemoyne, Pennsylvania, which is outside of Harrisburg. Um, and he had relationships with multiple people that he saw on a regular basis, neighbors, um, you know, for a long time. His dentist was his executor. I mean, for years and years, my dad would tell me, you know, you know, this his name was Andy and that he would be contacting you and, and that he was a good guy and they had this great relationship. And for years, I mean, years, ever since my dad moved into that place, you know, he struck up a friendship with a lot of times with medical professionals. These were the people that, you know, would listen to my dad. My dad, again, narcissists, they like to talk about themselves. They like to, you know, and he did. And, you know, and to some people that felt very, because there were boundaries, right? Um, like, you know, that that was a real relationship that, that they had. And I'm sure that Andy felt that way. Probably felt very betrayed at the end. As I think not just him, but some other people did. Um, by my dad's actions or, you know, lack of communication about what was going on. But he... um you know, had this relationship with people in that area. And so the fact that he was moved from a pretty populated area um, where, you know, his daughter lived close by, his brothers lived close by, out to, you know, about 45 minutes away 
kind of out in the boonies. Um, it's beautiful for sure, but it's definitely removed. And, you know, all of these contacts were made by the Sundays. I mean, they arranged for these people, the funeral home, the attorney, you know, the witnesses, the um, notary, were all people that they themselves lined up. And not people we were aware of. I don't even think my dad knew them. And maybe he met them once at the end. But um, so we had this three o'clock appointment at Boyer Funeral Home in New Bloomfield, Pennsylvania. Remember, we've just left New Bloomfield and headed back to my sister's house. And I had a hotel room because I thought I was going to see my dad in his final days. I didn't think I was going to witness my father's death. And so we got back to my sister's house and my Uncle Barry had said, you know, big concerns here and we've hired an attorney and, you know, they gave us some information about how they knew that some money had been taken out and they were very concerned and they said, you know, when you go, so this is like seven o'clock in the morning at this point, right? Haven't slept, um, traumatized, shocked. People are calling, texting, wanting to know what's going on and I just wanted a shower and a cup of coffee and um, we're sitting on my sister's front porch smoking cigarettes which I have not done since I was a bartender back in oh my gosh I mean like 1996 I think and uh, so we're sitting on her front porch in total shock um, talking to people and my uncle Barry says on the phone need you to find out about the will. I need you to find out, um, you know, anything that you can about what's in the will. Uh, need you to get a copy of the death certificate. Um, so we, <sighs> I go back to the hotel. I'm like, I have to go back. I have to shower. I have to change. Um, I get to my sister's house back again. It's you know about 20 minutes away from my hotel. I had no idea where she lived, so when I booked it, I didn't realize. And uh, meet back there, and we head up there, and we get lost. Um, <laughs> we we're just tired, not sleeping, exhausted, haven't eaten, driving to back to New Bloomfield to meet Kevin, and um, the the funeral home director. So we get there and we're about 30 minutes late. I think Aaron texted a couple times and said, we're on our way. We just got lost. And we walk in and, and I'm not kidding you, the first words out of Kevin's mouth. He's sitting there with this redheaded woman. Yeah, not real red hair, just like really red hair. And uh, all done up in a bun and glasses, kind of like the sexy librarian, except not really that sexy, maybe to some people. And um, he's like, oh, I didn't know if you guys were going to make it. This is what he says to the children, right, of um, the man who just passed away in his basement. And, um, of course, I, I think I said something like, well, everything's 45 minutes away from where we are, Kevin. So uh, at this point, I'm angry, right? There's that rage inside of me. Something's wrong. We've, we've known it. It's kind of been confirmed at this point. Um... And so we're in there and they start asking questions about my dad and my sister answered most of them. Kevin would try. Um, but one of the things he had brought up before 
when we were talking, and I hadn't said anything, this before my father passed, was, well, you know, your dad and I bonded over being in law enforcement, you know, your dad and the FBI, me and the DOJ, CIA, right? So this is what he's saying. And I'm like, okay, Um, dad was never in the FBI. I didn't say that, but I'm thinking, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? And so he, one of the things they want to know is what my dad's occupation was. And so Kevin says, well, he's retired FBI. And I said, nope. Nope. He's like, well, DOJ. I said, no, 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 never was in law enforcement. Never was in law enforcement. He worked for health and human services. <laughs> he did kind of retire, actually took disability from the government so that his blood pressure was too high um, when he went into work, like, you know, every other person on the planet. And um, so he got his doctor, remember he liked to strike up these relationships with healthcare professionals. Um, and his name was Dr. Short or small. I can't remember. I actually have that letter. Um, and my dad got disability from the government. And really what it came down to is he had a female boss and my dad was very, you know, um, very much a chauvinist, um, really thought women's place was in the kitchen. They should all cook take care of the kids man went out got a job unless he met a woman that had a job like as a nurse or a teacher he really liked like it was like they were still doing the womanly thing they were a nurse or a teacher they were in that nurturing kind of thing things men didn't do you know then he liked those women um but anything outside of that was just not okay so he had a female boss when he worked at the um, federal building in downtown Kansas City, and he couldn't handle it. Long story short, I mean, he just couldn't handle it. He could not handle having women tell what to do. And um, so, I, which, you know, speaks to me because I wasn't really good at not telling people what to do. So I'm sure he did not like that part of me at all. Um, and it probably plays back to his mom, which we'll get into at some point. But um, cause there's a connection there with his mom that pulls Julian where he was calling Julie things that he should not have been. I mean, it was just man- manipulation, mind manipulation. So I said, no, he did work for the federal government. He got disability and then went and worked for my uncle and, you know, had basically double income at this point, but hid it for my mom. So my mom never got any extra money. So he left the kids and my mom behind left me with a family that he didn't even really know. And they ended up being insane. Um, and then I ended up on my own after that because she accused me of sleeping with her husband, which I was 15, 16, maybe at the time. Timelines are, are difficult when you're just going through so much trauma. And so um, he looked genuinely shocked. Um, he, he knew little to nothing about my dad right? He knew what my dad told him. So you had a narcissist and a potential narcissist in Kevin. I'm not quite sure, but definitely somebody who was not on the up and up, right? They're just lying to each other, (laughs) just lying to each other, going back and forth, creating just this fake world that didn't exist. And then the people who are being honest and truthful, the children get caught in the middle of all of this and we're just in the crosshairs. And so, um, Oh, pick out whatever you want, girls. I remember him saying that. Oh, just whatever you want. Well, you know, we're like, okay, well, I guess we'll get like this necklace. <laughs> like, oh, this is all weird. And he's like, oh, and a flag. And 
we'll just need the DD14 or DD214 or something. And, oh, yeah, I'm sure I have it back at the house. And so, you know, he's just kind of guiding this whole conversation. And we're just kind of talking. I'm like, well, what am I, brother? Like, we need something for my brother. And he's like, oh, well, remember, he didn't want my brother to even come see my father. In fact, basically threatened, you know, brutal force if he showed up. And he had cameras the end of his driveway and he'd get his, his military buddies or his law enforcement buddies. I don't remember which one he said, um, you know, to come remove anybody from the property that wasn't supposed to be there. And, and, uh, we seemed completely put out by the fact that my brother was being included in this conversation. And Aaron and I are just sitting there in complete shock. These two clearly knew each other. Her name was Kelly is Kelly. She's still on the planet, I'm assuming. And Kevin, and it would not surprise me if there was something going on there. Um, so anyway, we go through everything. We out, we asked for death certificates and he looked at me, he's like, well, why would you need that? I was like, well, we would just like to have, we'd like to have a couple. And he very hesitantly said, fine. And he added it to, to the order, right? And he's acting like he's paying for it. When, right, it's my dad. My dad, the state, is paying for all this. And uh, it comes time to talk about the cremains. And he's like, you know, yeah, so I'm going to, you know, I'm, yeah, they're going to go to me. You know, Ken, Ken wanted to be buried on, uh, wanted me to spread his ashes on top of this mountain. Which we had heard. So this is legitimate. This isn't something he was making up. This is something my father had actually said. Um, it's just kind of heartbreaking. And I remember saying to my dad, are you sure that's where you want to? Like, where are we going to go visit you? <laughs> Where's He's like, well, I mean, I... And my dad just didn't want to talk about stuff. I think he didn't understand that we cared, right? I think he thought because we didn't bow down and stroke his ego and go along with everything that he said, that we were just these heartless, you know, kids who didn't care about their dad. He didn't understand. To him, caring would have been anything he wanted, whenever he wanted, us being who he wanted, even though we had no idea what that was. And so, you know, I said, well, I, I'd like, I'd like some of my dad's cremains, of course, because that's what they use as cremains, which I hate that word for whatever reason. And, um, she said, okay, well, I can give you each a little pill bottle. And she kind of looked at Kevin. I'm like, why is this guy who I don't know who's the executor, apparently not this point because it hasn't gone through the court, right? So we're still thinking... He has some power here, and he really didn't. It really should have been us. Because, you know, there's a, a law, right? As soon as my dad died, power of attorney ended. We're not even sure if he had power of attorney. But, you know, then the executor doesn't kick in until days after. So we should have had access to the whole, you know, burial process, the whole, you know, every, all, not burial, but the, all of that should have been on us to do, not on Kevin. And, um, it was like, he was just hijacking the whole process. The things that would have taken us through this were, he just jumped in the boat and started rowing and we were really just in complete shock. Of course, we also have in the back of our heads that something's amiss and that what happened that night was, was odd, which was just hours earlier. And, um, and then what my uncles are now saying, so we leave the funeral home we're standing outside and of course now I have this you know agenda to find out about the will and so he's like yeah I 
you know, he starts in with, you know, Jill, Julie, his, his wife, who's the caretaker, whatever, is, you know, she wants to have you guys up for a barbie. I don't know if it's going to happen today. You know, we'll, we'll just see. She's just really tired and not feeling that great. And she's been a lot for us. It's really, we're really sad. And it's just really hard going down into the basement. Your dad's not there. And, you know, and he's saying all this stuff. And you're just like, yeah, I mean, he was my dad, right? He's in my life for 47 years, but you knew him for what? One and a half. So yeah, totally get why you would be having a harder time with this than me. Um, and so I said, hey, you know, I need to know about the will. Like, what's up with the will? And he said, well, what do you mean? His demeanor definitely changed. And my sister, because we had talked about this, I had said, you know, when I bring this up, just mention mom. Because my mom's completely unassuming you know, probably was never mentioned by my dad. And I only know she's in the will because Julie reached across my dad's father and patted me on the leg and said, I got your mom in the will. I got your mom in the will. Right. So this is the kind of BS we're dealing with. And, um, and my sister says, well, mom wants to know. And he's like, Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, your dad didn't want, um, you guys to see the will. He didn't want anybody to see the well, except for me and the attorney. So, you know, he, he, I can't give you a copy of it, but um, you guys each get X amount of dollars, which I will just tell you is not very much. Um, and, you know, each of your kids gets between ten to 20000 you know, Your dad didn't have as much money as everybody thought, and he was really concerned about his brothers getting their, their hands on his money, and he just didn't have that much. He didn't have, and I don't get anything. I'm not in the will at all. I'm not getting anything. We're not getting anything. We didn't benefit from this at all. So he's like now going on this diatribe about how my dad didn't want us to see the will, that, you know, those were his wishes and that he's just trying to carry out his good friend Ken's wishes. Of course, again, this is my father he's talking about, uh, how I didn't have any money and how my uncles wanted my dad's money. Well, first of all, one of my uncles is loaded. There's absolutely no way he could give two craps. That's just pocket change to him right and he doesn't care and the other one you know is like religious and you know is doing something with orphanages and so I mean there's just this doesn't even make any sense right um there's no play for money there and it's a no contest state right so also in the back of my head I'm thinking if we're in the well we get a copy of the well so why are you saying this like it doesn't even make sense and then my sister says well what about you know, our dad's stuff, like, you know, all of his things, pictures. And he's like, well, he didn't have that many pictures. Well, I was there in December and I, I saw he did have quite a few pictures. He had a lot of stuff. I mean, I was just there four months prior, right? Five months prior. So, um, before like four months prior and, uh, he's like, well, you know, there's some watches and some Hummels and the beer steins. Cause my sister had mentioned some of this stuff and He's like, I could probably, you know, we could probably break some of that stuff out and you guys could pick some stuff, you know, out. So my, he has the stuff at his house, right? He says the beer steins are in my dad's home. Um, that's apparently going on the market, but they've been emptying it out. So they've been emptying the house out with my dad in their possession when he was alive, going over there without any oversight and emptying it out. And we find out some other things we didn't know about from a woman who used to clean the house later on. Sheila, and I will bring that up at some point, but, um, so, I mean, there's not even the chance to, like, sit and go through pictures or look at, 
his things or pick out a shirt or, you know, like none of this is happening. It's like we've just been completely cut off from my dad's life. And our right as his children to just like sit on the floor where my dad lived for all those years and where we spent time as well. And they just took it all away. And was he was being a little aggressive um, and lying, right? Because at this point, we had a general idea of how much money my dad had. Um, he said something about charities. And that was something my dad had mentioned. So we had an idea that my dad was... We, we'd gotten two different stories, right? That he was going to leave us everything except some was going to go to charity. Um, and then he had mentioned, um, you know, that he wasn't sure what he was going to do. We wanted to leave some to charity. But we had always been a big part of the will. He'd always talked about, you know, what he was going to do. At this point, I'm like, whatever has been done has been done. Like, there's no changing that. But I want to make sure that they don't get anything, right? And we need to see a copy of this will because we know that it had changed Recently, we didn't realize how recent um, until the attorneys told us that the will had been changed eight days before my dad died. And remember, they are also selling this narrative, Julie and Kevin, that my dad couldn't talk. <laughs> he was having a hard time. He could just say things like dignity. And, um, but then my brother says, now I talked to him the night he died and he was talking. Um, so could he talk or could he, I mean, it was like we were going back and forth. Right. Um, so anyway, we leave and I look in my rearview mirror and we're driving on these windy roads and, um, you know, we, the way we left it basically, he like comes in for a hug and I'm just like, I, in fact, he hugged me and I was facing my sister. I rolled my eyes. I don't like to hug anybody really. I did not want to hug this man. He had been so handy with all of us. It was just really disturbing. And um, so I get in my car and we're driving on these windy roads. And I look at my rearview mirror and he's got this big Dodge Ram 350, right? It has like hundreds of thousands of miles on it from his job. Okay, which he said, by the way, when we were talking about what we did in the funeral home, each of us individually, he said he was in banking and finance, which is not what my dad said he was. He also, my dad also said, well, Kevin makes under 95000 a year. Well, <laughs> no, he definitely did not make that much money. I don't know if my dad was making that up or if Kevin was making that up. I think that's part of the problem here is we can't tell who's lying about what. We know they both lied. We just don't know which part was Kevin and which part was my dad and, um, or, or Julie. And so I look and I see this big truck and it's Kevin's and I'm like, God, I hope he doesn't run us off the road. And my sister goes, oh my God. It was just this weird moment. And I looked over at her and I said, you think he would have killed us if we tried to talk to our dad that night? Do you think the reason he didn't want men up there was because he needed control over that situation? Do you think he killed dad? And my sister said, yeah. I was just thinking that and everybody we talked to had suspicions and concerns. That's what happened. That My dad woke up. My dad wanted to talk to us. He heard us or he woke up and Kevin wasn't in the room and he thought he had a moment 
to try to get help or reach out to somebody and um, Kevin heard him and stopped him from doing that. These are big accusations, right? It's just speculation. And it's concerning to us. We don't know what happened and what didn't happen, but that's what this is about. And so we leave the funeral home. And not long after, we get back to my sister's house to smoke multiple packs of cigarettes to try to digest and also to talk to other people because everybody wants to know what's going on, right? At this point, there's people that care, at least they seem to care. You know, I don't know. I think everybody was there for the fun part, right? What they considered the fun, dramatic part. And then as it started to get a little bit more real, everybody was like, oh, well, okay, so we did what we could, but we're out now. Bye. (laughs) Have fun figuring this all out on your own. Um, And uh, we got back there and we were just sitting there, just again, just in complete shock. And my Uncle Barry says, you know, I know this woman that knows the Sundays. And we would like it if you would come over and um, meet with her. Um, You know, can you be here at whatever time? I can't remember what time. And so we agree that we'll go over and we'll we'll meet with her. And um, so we headed over. Actually, I think that there was the next day we were going to talk to her. So we, we did end up meeting with my uncle and having dinner that night, again, in complete shock. Um, we get a text from Julie. Of course, we were supposed to have a barbecue bonfire, right? We're going to go through. And she's like, I just, I'm not feeling well tonight. It's just too much. I'm so tired. It's just, can we do it tomorrow? Right? And so I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fine. And at this point, you know, we're getting more information from our uncles about money that was, you know, taken out. Um, and we have a, a meeting with our attorneys on Monday. So this is now Friday. It's the actual day my dad died. It's that night, right? Because this happened at like three o'clock in the morning. Now it's like six o'clock. And so we know we have a, a meeting on Monday. And that now we're going to have this barbecue with them on Saturday or bonfire, whatever. But of course, we're getting a little nervous, right? And so we go out to dinner with my uncle. And he's like, I want you to meet this woman tomorrow. Because we had another barbecue scheduled with my cousin, my uncle's son, that next day. So we're kind of contemplating. So Friday, the day my dad died, was very eventful. And we were exhausted and overwhelmed. And we went back and... You know, we slept because we hadn't done that in some time. And we reviewed, talked to my brother. My brother was going to fly in on Sunday morning uh, or Sunday evening. I'm sorry. And we're just preparing ourselves for the next few days. And the weekend just got more interesting (laughs) um, as we moved through it. Um, So we'll pick up on Saturday morning. Um, and the events of Saturday, because it turns a little, a little dark Saturday and Sunday. Things start to get a little more contentious, and uh, the Sundays did and said things that made us very uncomfortable. Um, so we will pick up where I'm leaving off right now. The next time, 
I hope you have a great week, day, evening, morning, whatever. And remember, if you are in a relationship, whether it's a parental relationship, child, you're the spouse of, or the girlfriend or boyfriend of, um, somebody that is making you feel like you have no control over your life, who's making decisions for you, who's being abusive towards you, who is gaslighting you, who is manipulating you, that you don't have to deal with that. The effects long-term, I assure you, are much more damaging than any short-term effects from leaving that situation. Um, And they will haunt you. No contact is definitely the best way to go. Um, But if you can't do that, then remember to be a gray rock and don't respond. At some point, they'll move on because they need fuel for their fire. Um, They need to burn bright. And if you're not not feeding those flames, then they will find somebody who is. And that is honestly the best thing that can happen. It may feel like abandonment, but it's it's not. Because they never really had the capacity to love. And um, I think that's the one thing I've learned through all of this is he never had the ability to be a good dad. It was never about us. It feels like it. It feels like it. Like, that's what we're trying to undo, right? But that he just didn't have it. It was always about him. He didn't see us for who we were. Um, he just, it's, it was his darkness was just, it was just cast in everybody's eyes. It's all he could ever see. And that's true of any narcissist. So, um, anyway, I will talk to you next time. Thank you so much.